0: So in the uh, book of Esther, in chapter nine, we read these words. This is verse twenty, Esther nine twenty. Then Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews, Esther nine twenty, who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually. Now, Mordecai recorded the events, and then he sent letters to instruct the people about the holiday. Now, if you think about the word holiday, it actually is a, a combination of words. It's holy and day. So even though I know in the in previous years when Christians have been... You know, uh, we've kind of joked, and, and sometimes it's been serious that people get weird about saying Merry Christmas, and we'd we'd go into a store and they'd say Happy Holidays, and we and we might say, Oh, that's a bit of a cop out. You know, the real Jesus is the reason for the season. But you know, I've I've said to you guys in the past, and if you're new, I'll just remind you that to say Happy Holidays is another way of saying Happy Holy Days, <laughs> because that's the word. It simply means Holy Day. A holiday, or more specifically, a holy day, has a beginning point. There's some reason why it started. There's some reason why that date or those dates were set apart for people to commemorate an event. Uh, in America, we have holy days or holidays, and we can think of the big ones right off the bat, right? We, we know that we're in the spring, and so what are we coming to? We're coming to Easter, And Easter, we might say, is Resurrection Sunday, but we know that the culture calls it Easter. And you may be surprised at how many people don't even know what Easter is about. You'd be surprised how many people you could talk to, and they don't even know that the central meaning of that weekend, of Good Friday leading into Easter, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for, you know, the Christian calendar, if I can put it that way, there's some major things that we celebrate and you know, as we move on in the year we can think of Thanksgiving and then we think of Christmas and we can think of the reason why these holy days or holidays are celebrated. But wouldn't you agree with me that if we were to really examine our culture and maybe even some of our family celebrations, even as Christians, we'd have to admit that oftentimes the vertical aspect of many holidays is is conspicuous by his absence, right? Sometimes we gather with family and maybe there's a mixed multitude. Maybe you're a Christian and other families are not. Or maybe you're new to all of this and, and all this food's been prepared and people come to a certain home in the family. And it's, you know, it's the obligatory prayer time, Right? And uh, so now, are we going to pray? Well, it is Thanksgiving after all. Maybe we should pray. Maybe we should thank God, right? So people circle up, but they don't want the prayer to be too long because those mashed potatoes and the goodness of the gravy is coming into your nostrils. You're like, I can't wait. Make it short. And then they get one of the little kids to pray. You know, thank you, God, (laughs) for my fork and my napkin and my little puppy. And they go down the whole list, right? Or you know, you have an evangelist in the family and they pray over the meal and then with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if there's anybody here who has not met the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And they they go into a gospel invitation and the whole thing. Praise God. (laughs) Whatever you got to do, however the Lord leads you, right? I had the privilege of uh, having a family member come to Christ just a few hours ago and uh, open his heart for the first time god's god's always doing miracles in people's lives and so um, this concept of holiday so for the jews they have seven feasts that move from the spring to the fall and so we are coming to what we call the spring feast and we have the feast of passover the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of first fruits all basically happened in a weekend in the in our spring all look back to the first coming of Jesus. He died on Passover, buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, rose on the Feast of Firstfruits. You move just uh, uh, 50 days from Firstfruits, and you get to the fourth feast, which is the Feast of Pentecost, right? And so we know that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and uh, that was 50 days after Firstfruits. And remember, Jesus was ministering uh, about the kingdom of God for 40 days after the resurrection, and then he told the disciples to wait 10 days in Jerusalem, and then the Spirit would fall upon them. Well, the Spirit came 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits on the day of Pentecost, according to God's calendar. See, God has a calendar. They didn't pray the Holy Spirit down, per se. The Holy Spirit came on the Feast of Pentecost because that was God's calendar. So he said, you wait. You wait till you, you're endowed with power from on high, And the Holy Spirit came in fulfillment of the feast. Now, there are three fall feasts yet to be fulfilled, in my view. The Feast of Trumpets. You have uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then you have Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is looking forward to the time when God will tabernacle among His people, when Jesus will come again. But it also recalls God's presence with Israel in the wilderness. So... These holy days or holidays can look back and look forward. And that's what holidays can do for us as well. We can look back at God's blessings. We can look forward to future blessings. Now, of the seven feasts of Israel that are recorded in Scripture, there's two additional feasts that would bring us to nine. One is called the Feast of Hanukkah, which happens in the time between Malachi and Matthew in the intertestamental period. And so that's the time when the Jews had, uh, didn't have enough oil, but the oil, uh, you know, it, it stayed lit, the candelabra, and they were able to defeat those who were trying to desecrate the temple, and they cleansed the temple, and that's the Feast of Hanukkah. And the ninth one is what's before us, the Feast of Purim, which is in the spring. I was in Israel in 2006, and just about a year ago... And when I was, the first time I was there, we were there at the Feast of Purim, and we approached the Western Wall, where you can see on television often, the Jews are there in their yarmulkes, and they're reading their prayer books and praying. And they're praying for the nation, and and they're doing that. And so we were there for the first time, me and a buddy of mine, and we were a little hesitant to approach the wall, because we wanted to make sure we did everything correctly. And we met a young man who was from New York and he was visiting Israel and he had been on a three-day fast in honor of uh, the book of Esther or Purim. And I don't think it was a mandatory fast, but he was there. And we, we asked him, hey, is it cool if we approach the wall? And he said, if you come in peace, you are more than welcome. And so we went up there and you can stick a prayer request inside the Western Wall. Uh, ask God to, you could pray for somebody and then there's there's probably, I don't know, there must be, tens of thousands of prayer requests stuck into the Western Wall. It's really interesting. And so this is a major holiday. Now, if you Google the Feast of Purim, you will see in Israel, people are clothed in, uh, you know, costumes. They dress in all kinds of, you know, royal regalia. Some of them are dressed like clowns. And they just dress up, and it's a very festive holiday. But there was a season... In Israel, because remember, Israel just became a nation again in 1948, when they returned to the land, but they were still reeling from the Holocaust. Certainly understandable. I read this week that in the Holocaust, one-third of the Jewish population was killed. One-third of the Jewish population of the world was killed in the Holocaust. When you have a holiday that's supposed to be joyous and celebratory... And yet you're coming off the heels of something so devastating. Uh, there would be Jews that you could talk to today and they would say, we celebrate Purim, we celebrate this holiday in the book of Esther, but, but largely it's a horizontal holiday because there's a lot of people that don't believe in God. They may be agnostic, they may be atheist. but they, they are suffering and reeling from deep questions about where is God in these terrible times. And can you imagine being a Jewish person, living for months and months under the evil decree of Haman, thinking that your whole family may be killed, and to have that lifted by a counter decree and be able to fight for your life and survive. That's what's happened. That's where we are in the book. And now, once the peace has come, once the enemies of Israel have been dealt with, once they have achieved rest, they celebrate. Um, This is uh, in many places of your Bible, but I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus for a second. The second book of the Old Testament, chapter 15. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt with God's mighty hand. He's done 10 plagues. He's opened the Red Sea with the blast of his nostrils, and he's blocked the way of the Egyptians. Uh, And then he opens up the sea. Probably more than a million people cross. And then the sea closes on the Egyptian army and they're all destroyed. Do you know where they uh, they believe the Red Sea crossing has occurred? And some people think it's the Reed Sea. But they have found chariot, chariot wheels underneath on the bottom of the Red Sea. They can't move them, but there's coral that's grown on them. They have chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea where the crossing happened. How'd they get down there? I'd submit to you that the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea, just like the Bible says. There's actually pictures that Ron Wyatt and his team uh, have taken of these chariot wheels underneath at the bottom of the ocean. They can't move them for a number of different reasons, but they're there. Now, after that occurred, here's what happens. Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armor, he ca- his army he cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down in the depths like a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now, in many holidays, what would happen is that songs would become associated with the holiday. In fact, the book of Psalms is the songbook for Israel during the festivals. And there are particular Psalms that are sung at particular feasts. For example, Psalm 118 is sung during the Passover season. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Actually looks to the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And so the 150 psalms within your Bible are actually the hymnal for Israel. And they will sing different songs from the songbook. Psalms are songs. And oftentimes when you're reading through the Psalms, you'll see a heading. This was set to the music of this. And sometimes there'd be music of the day that the words were put to by the psalmist into the, into the musical uh, uh, notes and so forth. So it's just interesting to think about that this is uh, Israel's history. In the book of Judges, they sing after a victory. It says, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, saying on that day, Judges 5, 1, that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, and they said, bless the Lord. By the way, we ask God to bless us, but you can bless him as well. You bless him by speaking well of him. It's the idea of giving him the praise due his name when you bless his holy name. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers, to the Lord. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord, the God of Israel. Can I just say to you, give you a challenge when you don't sing when you don't participate in worship when you maybe your excuse is i'm not much of a singer or maybe i'm not into the music but you miss something of your christian life because singing is the natural um, outgrowth of a heart that's full of joy Uh, there should be music in your heart We are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to the Lord. And so I think if you have a song in your heart, if you have worship playing in your car, instead of maybe the usual stuff that people take in, you will find that it will change your countenance. It will change your attitude. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. Something happens when we praise the Lord. If you're still in Exodus, turn to chapter 12. As we look at the uh, Passover, the first spring feast I mentioned to you, this is chapter 39, uh, and it's telling the story of the institution of the Passover holiday. And they baked 1239 of Exodus, the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now, the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and it came about at the end of 430 years to the very day that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord, for having brought them out from the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord. Think of holiday. It's to be observed. The Hebrew root is shamar. We're to watch out for it, to remember. By all the sons of Israel, What's your Bible say? Throughout their generations. All Israel throughout every generation is to remember this night. Flip over to Exodus 13. Look at verse 8. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Why is this night different from all others, the child says to the parent on Passover? And the, the parent says, We celebrate this way. We have what we have on the table. We read the scriptures we read. We pray the prayers that we pray because the Lord brought us out of slavery with a mighty hand. Now remember that the Passover is a picture of your salvation because Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type or a symbol of Satan. The children of Israel were in bondage to the taskmasters, a type of sin, a picture of sin. They came out, They had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. God passed over with a mighty hand and he did not judge any household where he saw the blood. Uh, They put the blood on the doorpost and on the lentil. Some believe you could see the sign of the cross there as they painted the blood and God says, when I see the blood of the lamb, I will not judge that house. By the way, ancient covenants were made at the door. When a husband carries his bride over a threshold, it's kind of officiating or symbolizing, uh, making official or symbolizing the covenant. Covenants made at the threshold. God says, paint the blood on the door, and if you're behind the blood of the lamb, then you will not suffer my wrath or judgment. But if I don't see the blood, the firstborn is going to die. Every time Israel celebrates the Passover, year in and year out with the Seder meal, and the celebrations and the scripture readings, it is all to commemorate. We need to remember because we can so quickly forget. If you've ever read Abraham Lincoln's uh, Thanksgiving proclamation, which I think was uh, printed and signed in 1863, there he asks America to have a national day of Thanksgiving in November. November. And he says, look, maybe what we're going through as a nation right now is because we have forgotten God. I would encourage you to read Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation as he challenges America not to forget God, not to become so enamored with our uh, you know, success and prosperity that we forget the God who made us what we are. In fact, I would argue, as you look at the history of, Of America, there is no explanation of America without the mighty hand of God. America is an imperfect nation, I know. I understand that we have some history that's not so pretty, but America was founded on biblical values with a heart of people who wanted to be free to worship their God. And so, back in Esther chapter 9, just before the book of Job, if you're just getting to it, Mordecai records the events that took place. This is Esther 9, verse 20. And recording uh, events, as you, you'll note, you know, in the book, there's uh, the record of the king's chronicles. That's how he find out finds out Mordecai was the one that saved him. There's a lot of emphasis on written records and, you know, getting records out by courier. But Mordecai... Esther 9.20 recorded these events. Now, what did he record? Well, look at verse 17 of the same section. This was done, this uh, defense of their lives by the Jews, on the 13th day of the month of Adar, Esther 9.17. And on the 14th day, they rested and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa, that's the capital, assembled on the 13th day and the 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th. They had to fight for two days a day and made it a day of feasting notice and rejoicing therefore the jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns make the 14th day of the month of adar a holiday or a holy day for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another when mordecai recorded the events in verse 20 he was simply recording what had already occurred the Jews had already found deliverance from their enemies. They were able to protect their own lives, maybe with no casualties. We don't know for sure. And then spontaneously they began to celebrate what had happened. Now remember, God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. So this celebration is people saying, We are able to defeat our enemies. We've had we have rest now. We're not going to die. The evil edict of Haman has been countered and defeated, and now we can rest. And so they began to celebrate. They began to have holiday. Uh, Every holiday has something that started it, something that spurred it. And so Mordecai, he sent letters, verse 20, to all the Jews who were in all the provinces. Remember, there was, what, 175 of them of King Ahasuerus, both near and far. They wanted to make sure that everybody in the rural towns and the capital knew what had happened and knew that they should be celebrating these events. This is Isaiah 57, 19, uh, 18 and 19. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him, the Lord speaking. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of his lips, Isaiah 57, 19, Peace or shalom, shalom to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. The Lord had healed the nation and the natural response to healing is what? Celebration, joy. If the Lord heals a relationship in your life, if your body recovers from a sickness by the grace of God, whatever it may be, you are in a celebratory mood, amen? You're happy, you're, you're glad. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, we think that to walk into church, you have to look like you just ate a banana upside down. Right? That's not what the Christian life's about, you guys. Now, I know some of the Christian life has a serious aspect to it. Of course, we have a spiritual battle. But look, We take ourselves seriously enough, don't we? Maybe we need to calm down a little bit and learn how the Jews party. (laughs) Now, I'll say this to you. Unfortunately, in the Jewish feast today, if you read a little bit about Purim or Purim, they abuse alcohol. Don't do that. You don't need to abuse alcohol to have fun. The Lord and His Holy Spirit is what should be filling your life. You are not to be drunk with wine, for that is a waste, Ephesians 5.18. You are to be filled with God's Spirit. Now, you are wise enough people, I think, to understand what you can and can't do. How to use your freedom wisely, but you don't use your freedom for license. Freedom or liberty is given to you by God to do what you ought, not to do what you shouldn't. Freedom is not license to sin. It's the power to do what is right. Freedom is about getting other people to the place where they can hear about the joy and freedom of Christ too. It's not abusing your privilege or stumbling other people. Now I want to show you one other passage that I think uh, has this theme of rejoicing and healing and it's in Jeremiah and it's written to the, uh, the captives with a promise of hope. So it's to your right. Uh, I would encourage you to turn here because I think you're going to want to see this and mark this. This is Jeremiah 31, and this is verses 10 through 14. Jeremiah 31, 10. Hear the word of the Lord. O nations, Jeremiah 31, 10, and declare in the coastlands afar off and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. 31, 11. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. And they shall come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain, the new wine. Uh, All of the feasts uh, have to do with ingathering as well or celebrating God's bounty in, in an agrarian culture where you had to grow crops to survive. Over the grain, the new wine, the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. They shall never languish again, hope for captives in a difficult spot. Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance, the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. So back to Esther and all God's people said, Amen. Because God's promises are good. And when he delivers us, rejoicing is uh, just really comes naturally. Purim, like, uh, unlike the other feasts, was a spontaneous response from the people encouraged by the leaders, the human leaders, as opposed to a feast that was Moses saying to the people, you will do this. If you want uh, to see all seven feasts, read Leviticus 23. I don't have time to get into it tonight. But if you want to see all the feasts of Israel, Leviticus 23. Just read the entire chapter. But here, the feast comes from the leaders. And they oblige them, Esther 9.21, to uh, New King James, to establish among them that they should celebrate the 14th day of the month of Adar, and the fifteenth day of the same month, and then notice it, it's, a, it's an annual celebration that they would never forget, that they would uh, honor the Lord annually. It's easy to forget, isn't it? We have we have very short memories. We can forget what the Lord did for us six months ago, and even six days ago. Do you find that sometimes the Lord's done something in your life, something? incredible, something majestic, something miraculous, and then two, three days later, you can go through a tough spot and begin to question everything that you believe. In a matter of hours, sometimes. That's how much we need to be reminded. That's how much we need to be in Scripture. That's how much we need to understand that we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm going to show you another one. We're all over the place, but stick with me. Psalm 78. It's just a little bit to your right. Psalm 78. Here's an exhortation to God's people to remember. Psalm 78, verse 1. Follow along with me. Mark up your Bible. Go back and maybe check these later. Listen, O my people, Psalm 78, 1, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal, 78, 4, them from their children, but tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, or Israel, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know. Even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned their back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in His way. And they forgot His deeds and His miracles that He had shown them. How quickly, how easily we forget, back to the book of Esther, how easy it is to go back to the ways of the flesh, to give in to the spirit of the age. I think we all struggle with it. I think we all struggle with our humanity. I think it's easy to forget what God has done for you. That's why we need holy days. That's why we need to be in church. That's why we need to celebrate communion, which we're going to do at the very end of this message, because we need to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember who you are. Don't get distracted. Don't forget how I called you, what I've done in your life to this point, and that I will complete what I started in you. Once established, Purim was to be celebrated on two consecutive days, reading from a commentary. This can be understood in one of two ways. Either all Jewish people everywhere to, were to celebrate on both days, because originally a part of the community had celebrate on each day, apparently. Or Jewish people should celebrate Purim on the one day appropriate to their location. Remember, there was a difference between the capital and the rural towns. Today, Jews around the world, says this writer, celebrate Purim on one day, Adar 14th, roughly equivalent to our march, except those living on one of the cities traditionally considered walled at the time of Joshua, which include Jerusalem, Hebron, and Jericho, where Purim is celebrated on Adar 15. So today, it is still a two-day feast, and people apparently choose to celebrate one of the two days or both the days. Because on those days, here's the reason for the feast back in Esther 9.22, the reason for the holiday. Because on those days, the Jews rid themselves of or got relief or rest from their enemies. And it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness. Esther 9.22, middle of the verse. From mourning into holiday. That they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions, the Hebrew is manat, of food to one another and gifts to the poor. David wrote in Psalm 30, 11 and 12, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that may my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is why the holiday exists because it was during that time and the Jews actually celebrating the holiday on the days of relief, not the days of battle, that they had sorrow turned into gladness, mourning, remember the sackcloth and ashes, turned into holiday. The days are for feasting and rejoicing and even sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Why why do you include the poor here? Well, I want to show you one other that you'll find interesting. It's in Deuteronomy 16. And this is uh, a commentary from uh, somebody named Firth. And he points out this verse, and I think it's something for us to see. And uh, I'm sure you can all relate to this. Those of you who come from families where big meals are just simply part of holidays. Anybody? Big meals? Okay, Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? How many of you uh, every year have to fast for about 10 days before Thanksgiving, right? Or at least your intention is. And then you say, this year I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to eat that second helping of mashed potatoes and the pumpkin pie and the apple pie and the cherry pie. And And then I'm not going to eat the turkey sandwich a little later when I said I'd never eat again. But two hours later, I'm looking for a turkey sandwich. But then it happens. And maybe that's okay. (laughs) Okay. Deuteronomy 16:11 You shall rejoice before the Lord your God 16:11 and you and your son and your daughter your male and female servants the Levite who is in your town the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt 16:12 and should be careful to observe these statutes You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male and female servants, the Levite, the stranger, and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you shall be altogether joyful. There's some more instruction there about the major feast, but you get the point. They were instructed to include the poor, those who are maybe not as well off, back to Esther and we'll finish it, in their celebrations. Have you considered that? Have you considered widening your table at holidays? Some of you do that. Some of you have opened up your home to maybe people in the congregation who don't have a large family. They, they All their other family's out of state. Maybe a widow. Maybe uh, somebody that you know that you know, doesn't have anywhere to go. They don't have family close by. They don't have all the things that maybe you have. And you, you do something very biblical when you do that. You say, hey... Hey, do do we have plenty of food at our family celebrations? Yes, we do. How about we open up our table? How about we let somebody else into the circle of our tradition? Tradition, right? How about they get exposed to our prayers and our lives? There's a book that's out right now called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the author is basically saying that if we want to win our friends and family and communities to Christ, maybe we need to start opening up our homes more. Because hospitality is not just opening up your home, it's about opening up your heart. And so the Jews, 923 of Esther, undertook what they had started to do. What Mordecai had written to them. Mordecai encouraging them to remember and celebrate. For Haman, Haman, the son of Hamadatha. now we get the details of the holiday. This is what happened. The Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the the Jews to destroy them, Esther 9.24. And it cast poor. That's where we get Purim. Poor, singular, the I-M is the plural, Purim. That is the lot. Poor seems to be a Persian word brought into the Hebrew Bible. That is the lot. That's a... A different word, but same idea. See, when Haman wanted to kill the Jews, he basically rolled dice, (laughs) the dice of the old days. And what they would do is they would practice something called divination. Have you guys heard that term before? Divination means you try to divine something from the gods. Divination is condemned in the Bible. Uh, You are not to divine or use witchcraft or omens but people will do that. And so what they would do is they would cast lots and they thought the gods or goddesses would answer them by the fall of the lot or the die. But Proverbs sixteen thirty three says, the Lord ultimately controls everything. So when Haman rolled the dice to pick the perfect day to destroy the Jews, God reversed it and flipped it on his head because God could flip the dice over whenever he wants to. Because he's sovereign and the book of Esther is about the providence of God. The sovereignty of God that he is in control even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it hurts. You know I mentioned the Holocaust and the Jews in Israel. I mean that's, that's a tough thing but we know in the Bible God used Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to uh, destroy Jerusalem and take his people into captivity for 70 years. We know sometimes God has allowed things. I don't understand why. But now, you know, uh, the nation is there, and even, you know, coming this week, they're going to be celebrating. See, he cast a lot to disturb them and destroy them, but when it came to the king's attention, now this would be King Xerxes or Hasharesh, but some authors have pointed out that the way that this reads is not necessarily exactly how it went. Maybe Mordecai is trying to get people to see that another king, it came to his attention. I'll let you chew on that. He commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, that is Haman's, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Uh, Authors are quick to point out that when the Jews celebrate, they are not really celebrating the demise of somebody. They're celebrating the deliverance of God. You see, we struggle with if, if, if an enemy, and we're supposed to love our enemies, gets dealt with. You know, uh, when Saddam Hussein was hung, you know, some people were having parties. And some people, some Christians were questioning that and saying, uh, sh- should you be doing that? Sh- and, you know, people were pulling out Bible verses from both directions. But the Jews' celebration of Purim is... Because God delivered them. They're not so much that, yeah, we got Haman and Haman got his. Certainly that's part of it. But it's God rescued us. He delivered us. He is my tower and my defense. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating deliverance through the cross of Jesus Christ. When he grew up to be the God, he grew up to be the man that would die on the cross. He is the God man, but He was born into the world to come and rescue us. You will notice that the focus is horizontal. The people, you know, told by Mordecai to celebrate, sending food to one another. Not a whole lot of vertical focus here on God and so forth, but maybe when we see it came to the king's attention, maybe at least we can see another layer there that the king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords was watching over his people. In Luke 2.14, we often hear this verse, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well, the actual translation that's probably better of Luke 2.14 is this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Christmas is first of all vertical. It's a peace that comes from God to us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that vertical reality should spill over horizontally. We should have goodwill toward people. Amen? Now the verse more accurately says with whom God is pleased. It's about peace from God to man, not man to man. However, once you have peace with God, shouldn't you be an ambassador of peace to others? So Christmas is about both. It's not just a vertical focus, although that. I would argue, is the main focus. It's also being good to others. Listen to this. H.G. Wells. The time has come for me to recognize my life, my peace, I cry out. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am, 64, still seeking peace. He closes. It is a hopeless dream. Everyone desires peace, When asked by an interviewer what he desired most, well-known actor Harrison Ford replied, inner peace. Peace, says one writer, is the brief glorious moment when everybody stands around reloading. Close quote. That's a bit scary. Our world is filled with people in turmoil. Inner turmoil. External turmoil. People who don't know what to do with their guilt. They don't know what to do. Sometimes they don't don't even know that's what it is. But it's become a weight that they carry around and drag around like the shackled chain in Ebenezer Scrooge as his partner carried around the chain. You see, Holiday is celebrating peace. When we celebrate Christmas and Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the fact that God has defeated our mortal enemies of sin and death. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this book is about ordinary people and the fingerprints of God in their lives. And perhaps maybe you've come to this moment in your life for such a time as this. Because the same God who worked in the book of Esther lives in you. Do you believe that? You are his temple. He is a miracle-working God. And if you will simply just say, Lord, here I am, I don't have much to give, but if you can use me, he will. Therefore, they called these days Purim, from the idea of the lot, that God turned around for his purposes after the name Pur or singular for Purim. And because of the instructions in the letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what happened to them, they celebrated. And that's how the feast began. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Thou dost support my lot. Goral is the Hebrew word there. The Lord's the one that's done the work. The Lord is the one that has determined the lot. You know, in our English, we now have the idea of a lot to re That's where some of this these concepts come from, where there's you know, something is entered into and numbers are chosen to determine whether or not you can win. How many of you, how many of you have been praying about it? You can win the lottery. Oh, Lord, if I could just, you, have you prayed this? If I could just win the lottery, here's what I would do to help all these people, including the Sisters of Mercy, the, the people of the, all the poor people. I, after I, I have a few things I'm, I want to buy, But if those people could just show up with the balloons and the check, everything would be good. And then you hear stories of these lottery winners. Oh, my goodness. It's not always pretty. It's not always what people expected. It's not always what we thought it should be. Do you know, technically speaking, the lot that you have right now is from the Lord. Where you are, where you live, your job, your spheres, your circle of friends, your gifting. The Lord has given you stuff. And he says, now, would you be content with what I've given to you? Oh, I'm not talking about not having goals and dreams. I'm not talking about not having vision. I'm not talking about not being a driven person and doing everything you can to do well and invest and all that. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying, do you have an inner contentment that the Lord is in control of your life? And He does ask something of you, even in His providence. And here's what it is, very simply, will you just say yes? Will you just say, Lord, since you are on the throne, you God, I'm not. I want to follow you. You put me here. I'm going to trust that you're sovereignly on your throne, and I want to do what I've been called to do. This is my lot. You're in control. Help me to do the best I can do with what's before me. If I have open doors to other things, I will pray about those things. But how about not looking past the blessings that are right in front of me and taking advantage of what I got now? How about not buying into the American lie that you got to have just have the next thing and the next thing to be happy and how about counting your blessings now? How about going on a little holiday? How about saying, Lord, regularly, each week, I'm going to take some stock of how you have blessed me, what you have poured into my life, the gifts that you have given to me, the friends and family around me and I'm going to be a thankful person. You know what? The last few weeks, I've been just asking God to give me joy. That simple. Lord, give me your joy. I want to be a joyful person, and I don't always feel it, so you're going to have to give it to me. (laughs) Can I get a witness? Even, you know, before I've had coffee, give me joy. Come on. Can I hear it? Can I get a witness anyway? So the Jews established and made a custom for themselves And for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them. Apparently, it's even those who allied themselves who were pagans. Remember, we've been grafted in. And, you know, uh, salvation is from the Jews. God's chosen people, we've been grafted in as Gentiles. Those who allied themselves with them. The holiday then, as I take it, was not just for the Jews, but those who were allied or, if you will, grafted in, consider that, so that they should not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time every year, annually. And so a final verse. These days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And these days of Purim or Purim were not to fail From among the Jews, or their memory fade from their descendants. Well, Father, we are grateful that we have this incredible story of Esther, and we're just one week from finishing the book. And it's amazing to me that we're going to finish it on the actual feast of Purim or Purim. What a God of majesty and detail you are, that you would think on us in such a way just to say, maybe it's just something like this. Hey, living truth, I care about you. Hey, people who hear this Bible study, yes, I'm a God of that kind of detail. Yes, you're gonna finish Esther on the Feast of Purim and Pastor Michael is not that smart. Maybe you're just saying to us, Lord, I know who you are. I know what you struggle with. And I'm still that same God, placing my fingerprints, often where you can't see it, but I'm working. And I'm doing a work in your life. Keep your heart bowed right now and just, maybe you just need to do a little bit of business with the Lord. Maybe it's just receiving encouragement and joy and celebration in your heart and blessing. There's so much to celebrate as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian tonight, you can join the family. You can move from the kingdom of darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. You can be delivered from the twin enemies of sin and death. You can have your guilt removed from your shoulders. You can have it lifted tonight. See, Jesus Christ died on that cross for you to win the ultimate battle, the ultimate victory, but you must receive the gift. You have to say, Lord, I repent. Would you pray it? I repent of my sin. I trust in you, the king who came down to save me. I turn to you. I believe in your death on the cross. Pray it if it's you. Your resurrection from the dead. I thank you that you are victorious over death. And I place my trust in you be my Lord, be my Savior, be my friend. Change my heart. Seal me with your Holy Spirit. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to know the one that created me and saved me. Just cry out. You don't have to have a perfect prayer. But if you pray and you call upon the Lord, he'll save you. Maybe you're a prodigal tonight and you've been You've been reeling a little bit from life and choices that you've made. Get back to that place where you have the joy of your salvation and the hope that comes in the God of hope.